Welcome to Truth Talk with John Morgan of Traders Point Church of Christ. Traders Point Church of Christ is located at 8220 West 82nd Street in Indianapolis. More information about worship times and Bible study can be found at traderspointchurch.org. Good morning and welcome to Truth Talk. My name is John Morgan with the Traders Point Church of Christ. I'm here with our evangelist, Jeremy Bard, and we're going to be in Ezra chapter 3 this morning. We began our study uh, through the books of Ezra and Nehemiah last week as we looked at the first two chapters of the book of Ezra and kind of introduced uh, the book itself. And we're going to pick up in chapter 3 this morning. So if you missed last week, I'd encourage you to go back and take a listen to that to get caught up. Ezra is a book, as, as we mentioned uh, last week, it's a book that covers a, a decent amount of time. And so as we go through these chapters, it's important to keep in mind that there's a decent amount of time that's passing here, um, especially as we get later into the book. And so as we study through it, just keep that in mind. And again, if you didn't have a chance to listen last week, we'd appreciate it and encourage you to go back and take a listen to that. But Jeremy, let's pick up in, in chapter 3. The people have been given the decree and the opportunity now to go back to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple, and chapter 3 really begins that story as the people have made their way back to Jerusalem now, and what they're faced with is a city and a temple that's in ruins. I mean, there's there's really nothing to come back to, right? and I think that's important to keep in mind, certainly as we get into their story here. But as we begin chapter 3, uh, you know, we get this picture of the, the people coming back to the cities there, and they gather in Jerusalem. And what I mean, just imagine what their mindset must have been during that time frame as they all come together and they kind of explore what is left of Jerusalem. What do you think their mindset was during this time? What's 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 going on as they come back to Jerusalem here? Well, I think, you know, in a lot of ways, we talked a little bit about this last week as well. The vast majority, probably the people that are going back to Jerusalem have haven't yeah. been to Jerusalem. Yeah. And um, I mean, if if they had been to Jerusalem, you're dealing with extremely elderly people that maybe had seen it. But they certainly, I mean, we're just maybe a generation removed. I mean, it's hundreds of years removed. Mm -hmm. You're decades removed. And so I I believe it's certainly something that would have been communicated to them, that Jerusalem Mm -hmm. was this. I, I believe they heard lots of stories about you know, Jerusalem and how mighty of a city that it once was right. and, you know, the walls that surrounded it and most certainly the temple that mm-hmm. stood in the midst of it. I, there's no question that they would have heard stories about the temple and heard stories about its grandeur and hold, held, you know, heard stories about what's inside of it, heard stories about how it was built. I mean, there's no question they've heard all of these things. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when you, you hear all of those stories about what it was like, you're going to build that picture in your mind, yeah, but I, yeah. I think you're right on the money. When they actually get to Jerusalem, <laughs> it's not in any way going to look like that no. because it, it has been devastated by the Babylonians. And, you know, I, I, I'm guessing that, you know, there's been nobody there. I mean, maybe a few people kind of milling around, but mm-hmm. nothing substantial has taken place. So I, I would think in a lot of ways the city has left the exact way that the yeah. Babylonians left it decades before. And so they get there, and you're going to be hit with the the sadness of that. And I think a big part of what this book is about, certainly this section, just the overwhelming nature of the task. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, it's one thing as you're leaving Babylon and, you know, Persia now. When you're leaving, 
you know, the place that you've been, and, and there would have been probably high excitement. Hey, we're going back to Jerusalem. It's going to be great. It's going to be awesome. And then when you get on scene and just see the magnitude of what needs to be done, mm-hmm. I, I'm sure there's a lot of people that are, are overwhelmed. It, it, it's talked about even yeah. here in this sure. chapter, I think. You begin to see that. And, and so there would be a, so much going on, you know, that excitement mixed with now the reality of where they are. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, it's interesting, and we'll certainly talk about it, what it is that they, they tend to do first, that the, the sacrifices and the spiritual things that certainly have been missing, certainly yeah. missing from in Jerusalem and happened for a long, long time, now begin to take place. And I think that's an opportunity for them to be energized in that. Mm-hmm. And that ultimately is a big theme about what the book of Ezra is itself. There, you know, there's, there's plenty of room, I think, in both Ezra and Nehemiah to criticize the people for how slow they are to do what they were sent back to do. Yes. But I think you make a good point that, you know, just trying to imagine yourself being dropped into the middle of nowhere in a deserted city that 70 years ago was burned to the ground, and you just have to make a life there. All right. I and mean, that, yeah. that's what's happening. I mean, they, they just have to make a life there again. Uh, there, There is, the task is overwhelming. I mean, they have homes to build and food to source and, and all of these things. It, it's even made mention here, and it'll be a theme in both Ezra and Nehemiah. There are smaller groups of people around Jerusalem that are going to pose threats to them because yeah. these people are very susceptible right now. They have no form of protection. They have no military of any kind. They're susceptible to outside forces who could take advantage of them. There's a lot going through their minds right now. There's a lot to process in this situation, and the task does seem overwhelming. Not just the rebuilding of the temple, not just the rebuilding of the walls, but everything else that goes along with creating a society again. Right. There's just a lot in front of these people. And, and I can imagine that for many of them it was overwhelming. And I think we see that as we see in both this situation and we'll see it again in Nehemiah, the amount of time that passes right. before they kind of get moving. And we see that, you know, here midway through chapter three, we're in the second month of the second year of their coming back to Jerusalem is when they actually start the process of laying the foundation of the temple. So and we're talking about a a lot of time that has passed from when these people got back to Jerusalem to when they actually start on this process. Uh, But again, I think when we stop to think about just everything that was going on with them, I think we have to extend a little bit of grace to them. Now, they're going to get criticized by by Nehemiah, certainly when he comes back and the walls aren't rebuilt. There's room for some criticism on how they drag their feet. But I also think it's appropriate to give them a little bit of grace and recognize just how much was in front of these people. You know, it's interesting. I was thinking about this yesterday a little bit. You know, there's certainly some parallels just by the way of them coming to a land that that God has promised to them, but yet they've never seen. I mean, Mm -hmm. you, you go all the way back to the beginning of, you know, the story about when the people come out of Egypt and they come out of that captivity, a captivity that lasts Certainly much, much longer than what Babylonian captivity was. Mm-hmm. But they come out of Egypt uh, there with Moses and there in the book of Exodus and Numbers. And they, they come into the promised land. It's land they're not familiar with. Um, they're not a people in any way. I mean, even here in the book of Ezra, I mean, they're, they're not much of a people. They've yeah. been in captivity for almost at least these folks their entire life. Mm-hmm. But yet when they come into that the land of Canaan the first time with Moses, it's interesting and even made mention of several times 
the incredible blessing that they advantages that they have that guess what you have houses that you don't have to build that mm-hmm. are in places you have yeah. fields right. that are planted that you don't have to plant i mean you, there are pl- things in places great advantages and you know these people they don't have any of those i mm-hmm. mean there's not houses that are ready for them just to move into they've been burnt to the ground there's not fields that you know have held crops for Year after year after year, there's nothing that's been happening there. All of that is going to have to, you know, be taken care of. And it would have been an overwhelming thing. But yet, you still, there's still a, a, a sense of unity. I think that's a big part of what Ezra is. I, mm-hmm. I think you're right. There is time for criticism of the people and their uh, their priorities, I think, in mm-hmm. getting the work done. And we're going to have lots of time to talk about yeah. that as we move through <laughs> Ezra and Nehemiah. I, I don't yeah. know if that's a you know, feeling that we get here in Ezra mm-hmm. chapter 3. In Ezra chapter 3, I mean, the whole chapter begins with that idea that, you know, in verse 1, that, you know, the seventh month, the children of Israel in the cities, the people to gather together as one man to Jerusalem. And this chapter begins with the great picture of unity that they're back in Jerusalem and really they get to work on at the very outset of this chapter what they need to get to work on and to the sacrifices and the feasts and all of those things which were not happening in Jerusalem certainly as God had Mm -hmm. had dictated to happen now it just had to had to have been a special special moment to take place for them there yeah we get to see not only that that special moment, we also get to see the rise of some leadership coming into play with the people, which which certainly is going to be extremely important for them. I mean, this is again, this is a group of people that has just kind of been thrown together because of their bloodline and sent back to to rebuild this city. Here we see Zerubbabel being one of those people that right. kind of rises as a leader among the people. He's certainly going to play a key role throughout the book of Ezra. And I think that's an important part of this too, where you start to see these people step up to the plate a little bit and take charge. And I think both Ezra and Nehemiah, there's great lessons to be learned just in the quality of godly leadership that we see in both of these situations, whether it's Zerubbabel or Ezra himself or certainly Nehemiah. I mean, these are men who really took the reins as godly leaders for these people when they desperately needed it. And these people desperately needed leadership of some sort. And I think what we see is just the importance of that amongst God's people. There, there is a need for leadership of people who are going to step up and say, this is what we're going to do. We're going to, we're going to offer these burnt offerings to God, and we're going to prioritize worship in, in these situations. That, that was extremely important to the people. And it, I think in a lot of ways, it kind of set the stage for what's going to happen next. And by doing that, they really paved the way for the people to hopefully prioritize God and prioritize the rebuilding of the temple and prioritize His law and commandments for them. I think all of that is seen, and that the value of that godly leadership, I think, can't be overstated in this particular situation. And I think when we try and apply that to our lives, the same is true. God's people need godly leadership, people who are going to step in, when chaos could potentially ensue and say, here's what we're going to do. Here's what we're going to prioritize. Here's the way we're going to go. And I think when we look at these two books, that's one of those themes that I think we see across both of them. 
Yeah, I mean, the, you know, the two books that we're going to spend time in, Ezra and Nehemiah, I mean, a big theme in these two books is, is building things. I mean, it is. It's mm-hmm. the, the temple in one. It's the walls in the other. And there are moments in which the building is not going where it needs to go, but yet ultimately what needs to get built is built. I mm-hmm. mean, you see that in both Ezra and Nehemiah. But in, in, a, in these two books with a, a theme about building, I really like... You know, the point that you just made, and you get into chapter 3 and verse 2, when Zerubbabel is kind of, you know, introduced to us as the kind of man in charge. And there's so much to do. I mean, Mm -hmm. we we can't even imagine, you know, all of the things for them to do just to live. I mean, there's so much, you know, that needs to take place. But yet in this incredible book about building, the very first thing that's built here by Zerubbabel that's mentioned of being built at all is an altar mm-hmm. so they can offer burnt offerings. Yep. I don't think that is something that needs to be overlooked. I mean, yeah. it, it in this incredible book about building things, especially mm-hmm. these two books kind of put together, the very first thing that's built when there is lots of things that need to be built, lots of things, the temple included, the walls included, but lots of things that need to be built. The very first thing that's built here is an altar to offer burnt offerings to God. Yeah. Now, Zerubbabel, you're right, takes the lead in that. And I think in a lot of ways that that does show the priorities of the people. They, mm-hmm. they get off kilter a little bit. Mm-hmm. Their own, they get it off because of themselves. There are certainly some outside yep. obstacles yep. that kind of get in the way. But So they get off kilter with their priorities, but they're on the scene, and they're gathered together as one man, and their priorities are right where they need to be. And it is God, number one above everything else, in a shamble of a place mm-hmm. that they're in. Their focus remains on God. And, you know, it would have taken, we talked about this a little bit last week, for the people who did come back, because the vast majority of the Israelite people are are still in what was Babylon at the time, or prior to this. They're still there. That's where their homes are. They're still living there. So really, just a small percentage of them actually came back. The, the Those people, it would have taken a great amount of faith for them to do what they did. They came back knowing what they were going to find. I mean, they're, there's, they're, under, they're not under any pretense that they're going to come back to a city that's in great shape and houses already built and this is going to be an easy thing to do. They, they understand what they were going to come back to. And so I think when we see this, what we're seeing is this is what has led the people here. Right. They have come back because they want this. They want to reestablish their worship and the relationship that God has with his people. That's their desire. And it, it, that desire has been so strong that it took them away from their homes, potentially away from their families, and back to Jerusalem to do just this. And I think we see this, this is their number one priority. And, and that says a lot about these people, right. that they were willing to do that. And, and I think it also says a lot about these people that, that after all of this time in captivity, they still know the law they still know the feasts. They still know the sacrifices. They, these things are all on their mind. It's right. important to them. Even though much of that had been stripped away from their culture, they still value that. 
and it's with them. It's a part of them. And so the first opportunity that they get to do that and partake in these things, they're eager to do so. And I think that says a lot about these people, that even throughout the time in captivity, this was important to them, so much so that they were willing to leave, and when they had the opportunity to offer sacrifices to God, it was one of the first things they did. Yeah, I mean, as it is written is a phrase that comes into play in this chapter multiple times, and I think that goes to the fact that these were people that were familiar with the law. I mean, when we get in the book of Nehemiah, I mean, you're dealing not with the same people here. Mm -hmm. You're dealing with almost two generations later. And their understanding and, and readiness to understand and to know the law is in a very different place, even yep. by then. Yep. But these people here, their, their understanding of the law is there. Now, they've not been able to, to keep it exactly where they need to because they've not been in Jerusalem. Mm-hmm. But now they are. And so you're able to see that, you know, in a, an absolute rubble of a place— their focus still is on God. And I think even by way of application, it, it it's good to sit on us that, you know, sometimes our life, maybe not physically, you know, here that they're literally living, you know, they're in a, a, a place of shambles, mm-hmm. that our life can feel that way sometimes, yeah, that, sure that, that things are just crumbling all around us. And even in those times, as God's people, we're expected still to put him number one, that that is the best way to to make it through those times, not to put him on the back burner and move ourselves to, we're going to see that happen in these two mm-hmm. books and the problems that come with that. But here you see that them not putting God on the back burner, keeping God in the forefront. And ultimately, you know, that's what's, that's what's going to work for them. And it's continuing to work for us, or should certainly work for us. It should, yeah, absolutely it should. I think when we prioritize God that way in our lives, everything else will fall into place. Right. And I think, again, we, you know, we talk about, we've talked several times about looking forward to Nehemiah, and you know, we may continue to do that. It's these two books, there's a lot of similarities with them. But you know, I think one of the things that stands out in, in the book of, of Nehemiah especially, and even a little bit here in Ezra, is that when that isn't the priority, when, when God isn't the priority in your life, that's when chaos ensues. Right. That's when everything begins to fall apart. But when God is the priority, things will fall into place. And we're, we're beginning to see that here in the early stages of them coming back to Jerusalem. When God is in it's his proper place as the number one priority in our lives, godly leadership will fall into place. Uh, the work that he wants us to do will fall into place. Uh, protection will be provided when it needs to be provided. These types of things will fall into place for us. We have to have faith and confidence in that so that whenever it appears as if, oh no, something big has come up, I need to put that as the number one in my right. priority in my life and, and move God to the side for just a moment. We have to remember, no, when we do that, that's when chaos is going to ensue. Yeah. No matter how important this may seem in our life today, God remains number one. And if that's true, if that's true, this will take care of itself. I have faith in that. I have confidence in that. And, and we, we, we see an example of that happening here. Listen, these people had to be scared to death yeah. of what was going to happen to them. I mean, they could have easily been wiped out by one of these neighboring nations who had an army. and I mean, they could have easily been taken out. They, they have no way of defending themselves. They have no way of providing for themselves other than what they brought with them. But yet they are a people who are prioritizing worship to God. And when they did that, things fell in place for them. Yeah, it, it, listen, it, it, 
it's easy to say, and it's easy for us to, you know, to talk about it, and it, it even makes sense. If you're listening to this, you're probably nodding along that, hey, we've <laughs> got to continue to do that, even yeah. in chaos, when my life is in chaos. I've got to keep God number one. I, you know, I'm sure everybody has an agreement with that. It's one thing that's easy to say, mm-hmm. but it it's sometimes can be a huge challenge to keep that yeah. focus in. I mean, even in this chapter itself, I think you see that as, as much as we see at the very beginning of this, that the people are prior prioritize can you get that word out prioritizing <laughs> god and and it, when their life is kind of in shambles and their world is in rubble really mm-hmm. that they're doing that you still see the challenge i mean you yeah. get down to verse six where they says you know from the first day of the seventh month they're offering the burnt offerings of the lord but then the text reminds us but the foundation of the temple had not yet been laid yeah. and then the rest of this chapter kind of kind of moves in that direction and i think that just showcases that is something we've got to constantly be yep. on top of. Yep. That you've got to each and every day make sure that God is is the leading person in your life. Each and every day. Because it's easy to say it once or it's easy yeah. to allow it to happen, you know, one day. But, you know, in the midst of whatever circumstance we find ourselves in, the very moment we allow something else to step into that spot ahead of God, it, the very next day becomes even easier for that. Yep. And the very next day yep. becomes even easier for that. And that's what you see happen here is that you have a time frame that's going to take place where, yeah, they got off to a great start and they had God put where he needed to be, but yet the temple itself just continued to lay in shambles. The foundation's not even laid. And and I think that is a reminder that it's something that we've got to be vigilant about and on top of constantly because it is much easier said than done <laughs> to make sure that that is a life that we're living, not just something that sounds good to ultimately just to say, yeah. because, you know, we say, oh, that's a great thing. Put God number one. Absolutely. Everybody agrees with that. But then to actually do that sometimes can be a very different story. I think that's one of the reasons why really throughout the entirety of the Bible, God prioritizes communication yeah. between he and his people whether it was you know in the old testament where he's speaking to them directly or for us in the in new testament times to be able to to spend time in his word and allow him to speak to us through his word to spend time in prayer to him those things are extremely important because that's the way we do exactly what you just described that's the way we constantly keep him number one in our lives by keeping those lines of communication open, by constantly being invested in his word, by constantly speaking to him, asking him for help, praising him, keeping those lines of communication open with our creator constantly, that's going to be a reminder to us day by day, even moment by moment, that that he's number one, that he's the one that is in control, that he's the one who is there for me when maybe it seems as if no one else is. He's the one I can count on. That relationship is going to remain strong. So it's important for us to, to day in and day out just be invested in the study of his word and allowing him to speak to us through it and be invested in our prayer life. And those types of things are going to help keep God number one in our lives. And really, we could even extend that then to the relationship that we have with our brothers and sisters. They can be a support to us in that as well. We have a responsibility to help each other in those areas. But we can't overstate enough just how important it is, moment by moment, to, to be invested in that relationship between myself and God. Because that's going to be ultimately what determines 
my spiritual relationship with him. If, if I don't prioritize that, as you said, it's not going to take long before that can just dissolves in front of me. And, and what I'm left with is a life in shambles. Yeah, you know, it's really interesting that, you know, we're covering this chapter, e- even on the day like we're in right now. I oh, mean, yeah. you know, in our country here, you know, I'll make mention that we're March of 2020. If you run across this <laughs> this audio read about it years, from, you know, years from now, go back and check it out, March of 2020. But, I mean, we're, you know, we're living in a world that se- there seems to be lots of uncertainty. I mean, there's lots of things going on and lots of things to pull us away from, you yeah. know, thinking that, you know, every Everything's under control. Right. It, it seems very much out of control. But yet, you know, what a great opportunity for the people of God to say, listen, God has got all of this under control mm-hmm. and, and keeping him the main number one focus in my life, not what all of the other parts of my life are looking like right now, but just making sure that God is the focus of my life. Mm-hmm. Everything else will take care of itself. Now, there's a certainly a, a level of faith that it takes for that to happen. But we're living right now in the the week and the day that we're in today. What a great opportunity to put that to work. You know, listen, at least for today, you work on today to put that to work for today to make sure God is number one. And then we'll we'll do that again tomorrow. Yeah. And then we'll yeah. do that again the next day. But make sure it's that way today. And we're just, what a great opportunity to use that application point for where we're sitting right now in March of 2020. That's a great point, great point. We've only got about five minutes left, so I want to make sure we get to the point where we actually <laughs> see the foundation of the temple laid. Yeah. Um, sometimes we get caught up in some things that... But towards the end of this chapter, I think, is a really important part of of the book of Ezra, where they do actually get the foundation of the temple completed. And it's so emotional Mm -hmm. to read about that. I think we've touched on it a little bit here. We're seeing, as we see the responses of people as they see the foundation of the temple laid, we're seeing the majority of people who, as you pointed out earlier, had probably never been to Jerusalem, certainly had never seen the temple in its glory. But we do get the indication that there are some, the older men yeah. are called out specifically, who most likely had seen the temple in all of its glory and all of its prestige. They had seen it in its heyday. And there is just so much emotion that comes out as they see the foundation laid for what will be the next temple. And I think it's just interesting to, to read that. So I wanted to make sure we, we spent a little bit of time talking about that because there was so much emotion tied up in, in the temple itself. And, and I think for the men who had seen what the temple was previously and had lived through its destruction, had lived through captivity and now are coming back, I mean, what they must be processing right now, I can't really even fathom that. But I think it does go to what we've been talking about a little bit already, that even during the time of captivity, for a lot of these people, the relationship with God and what the temple symbolized in that regard was something that they held in highest, highest esteem. It was so valuable and so important to them. And so to see this process begin here, we just see so much emotion coming out of these people. And it's really a beautiful picture, I think, for us to look at. I I think the key 
passage and you know verse in the midst of all this is there in verse 11 it's certainly the one that has caught my eye in the last couple of days where it says they sang responsively praising and giving thanks to the lord and i was reading that and i thought what an interesting way to say that Mm -hmm. that they they sang responsively and and i was thinking that's how all of our praise to God should be. Yes. And I think oftentimes when we're praising God or we're singing praises to God or just glorifying Him, we can get trapped into the, that's just what I'm supposed to do. I'm supposed to sing praises. I'm supposed to give thanks. I'm just supposed to do that. Mm-hmm. But forgetting that every single time that we do that, it is in response to something. It's in response to God and what He has done, or it's in response to God and who He is. That if we can sing praises responsively, or if we can glorify God responsively, or if we can give thanks responsively, that's what keeps the emotion involved in it, Mm -hmm. is that you're thinking of God and what he has done or who he is, and I'm praising him for it, or I'm thanking him for it, or I'm glorifying him for it. That's when the emotion stays. If I lose sight of that, and I'm just doing those things because that's what I'm supposed to do, there's not going to be a whole lot of emotion involved. But yet you read from verse 11 down to verse 13, it's only emotion. It is joy. It is weeping. It is every emotion that you can have, and it's because they are responding to God. And that is every way what praise and glory and thanksgiving and all of that should be is responding to God and I thought that was just a really interesting way, you know, to phrase that. And it's something that really, really caught my attention. Yeah, you know, we, we oftentimes, I think when, when we sing in our worship assemblies today, you know, we the songs will take us back to the cross, for instance, right. or will remind us of the salvation that God has extended to us and the grace that he's extended to us. It reminds us of those things. And I think you're right that we, therefore, are singing in response to them. And that brings about a lot of emotion for us. And in this situation, the the same thing is happening as they're standing there looking at the foundation of the temple. Whether they lived through it or not, they're thinking back, probably all the way back to the time of Moses when the land was originally given to them. And they're thinking about the building of the original temple. And they're thinking about the destruction of it and the captivity. And they're thinking about the fulfillment of God's promises through all of this. So much must have been going through their mind. And I think, I think you're right. It's, it's such a, an appropriate word to use that they sing responsively because they're sitting there looking at all of this, remembering perhaps through stories that they've heard or certainly for some of them through the actual memories. They're, they're thinking back on what has happened here and where they are right now. And I imagine for a lot of them, they thought for those who have lived through all of this, I'm sure they never envisioned a time in which they could come back to Jerusalem and rebuild the temple. They had to think that they would never see that time. And yet here they are. And that response is just so beautiful. We'll go ahead and wrap up there. Our time is is about up. So we want to thank everyone for taking some time to uh, join us this morning. Hopefully it's given you some things to think about as you study through uh, this book as well. Uh, if you're interested in coming to worship with us, we meet on Sunday mornings at 9 for Bible class and 10 a.m. for worship. We'd love to have you join us at the Traders Point Church of Christ. Thanks again for your time, and we'll talk to you again next week. You've been listening to Truth Talk with John Morgan of the Traders Point Church of Christ. Traders Point Church of Christ is located at 8220 West 82nd Street in Indianapolis. More information about worship times and Bible study can be found at traderspointchurch.org. You can hear Truth Talk every Sunday at 10 a.m. right here on 98.9 FM WYRZ.